Welcome to another episode of Scrubs and Soy Sauce. Today is our first solo episode by me, Dr. Kev. This will be maybe not too long of an episode, or it might just be me blabbering about without anybody stopping me. So here goes nothing. This episode is going to be about how to be financially successful as a new intern. So congratulations to all the new doctors out there. Match day has just come by. So now is a celebratory period between, you know, now you know what you're doing in July when you start residency, becoming a real doctor. So really take the time to celebrate now between the end of the year. So unfortunately for me, when I did that, it was during the peak of COVID. So I ended up just staying inside the room with Mickey quarantining, but take the opportunity to see the world before you, you know, you start your real career. For those of you out there who don't know what's going on, basically how the US system works is after medical school, you match into the specialty of your choice. So for example, like surgery, dermatology, pediatrics, you know, pathology, they tell you where you're going, and then you're going there for training for the next three to seven years of your life. When you do that, you're still kind of a doctor in training, you're not going to be buying Rolexes or buying Lamborghinis straight away. I think it's important for me to kind of share kind of my thoughts about what I did correctly and what I didn't do correctly and how you can put yourself in a good financial situation for the next years coming ahead and could save you a lot of headaches in the future. Hopefully this applies to all the 40,000 or something new interns that are coming about, but also this is probably good for anybody who's finally starting out their new jobs. There's a lot of uh, financial resources out there, but hopefully I'll be able to kind of condense it into a more simplified term because there's a lot of confusing things out there about what you should and shouldn't do. One or two caveats is that, you know, people, this for many people who just started medical school, this is the first time that you're really starting a new job. Before in medical school, you were making minus sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year from tuition. And now finally, you're roughly making sixty to $70,000 a year. So it's a big swing around when you're not taking more loans for school. So that can have a profound effect on some people and budgeting and all these financial situations are important for the future, especially for you know us people who are probably in their late 20s, 30s. So yeah, let's get started. The first big topic that is on everybody's minds is how we take care of student loans. The average medical student has roughly $202,450 of loans when they finish medical school. That is quite a lot of loans. And to take into perspective, if they're by the government, they usually have about a 6% yearly interest rate, which is quite a bit. So to get those numbers in perspective, like, you know, $200,000 is not a lot, is not a little. If we divide those into monthly payments, so if we wanted to pay something, someone back in 10 years, so 120 monthly payments, $200,000 with a 6% interest rates, you're going to have to end up paying $2,220 a month for 10 years. When you do that, you'll have to have paid an extra $66,449 from interest. So you'll have ended up paying about, you know, $267,000 total. It is quite a large sum of money. There's a couple of things that can be overwhelming, but are a good thing for new residents to do, a no-brainer things that they should do, um, you know, currently right now before, you know, they get started busy with residency. The number one thing is to consolidate all your loans. Make sure you keep track of all the loans together in one place. And so 
there are government loans that you've probably taken out, and then there's non-government loans, and hopefully you can consolidate all of those into one place each. The second thing you need to consider is whether or not you want to refinance these loans. Right now, because of the government loans being no interest rate that due to COVID and Joe Biden, it has saved me probably more than $20,000 of interest. So thank you, Biden. But that probably is coming to an end pretty soon this summer. So it is probably a really good idea to think about refinancing or thinking about what you should do with these loans. Just some pros and cons with regards to whether or not you should refinance or not refinance. By the term refinancing, it means if they're government loans to change it to a different lender. This could be a private lender. You know, you get a lot of messages from like Laurel Road, SoFi, or all these types of different organizations that offer lower interest rate. And then there, there's some pros and cons with doing that versus keeping the government loan. With these private loans that the companies, they're definitely offering you a lower interest rate. So if you're interested in trying to pay these off as soon as possible, that is a great reason to do that. They also have some deals, things like, you know, they'll give you $1,000 off here or there or minus like 0.3% off interest rate for certain things. So it is pretty competitive from that perspective. Again, a good way for you to focus on paying off loans faster. And usually their service is much better than the government loans because they're a private company. The caveat with doing that, I mean, currently the interest rate is paused, but there's other couple of things that you may qualify for with the public government loans that you may be interested in. The first thing is public service loan forgiveness, PSLF. That is if you make monthly payments, doesn't matter what amounts, over 10 years and you work for a nonprofit organization, like so residency for the most part should count. If you do that, then they can forgive your loans over 10 years. And then to do that, you need to document every year that you've worked for a particular nonprofit organization. So that requires you to have a government-based loan. The second thing is income-based driven repayment programs. And I'll talk about that later. And that can be qualified for if you have a government-based loan. And the other thing is with these government-based loans, there's definitely more protection. So like for right now, the loans are paused, but there's other, you know, if you end up dying, it's less likely that your family members will have to pay for your loans. Or there's other liability things that are a little bit more lax with government loans. Basically, I think the key here is if you want to pay off your loans really quickly and you have the means to do so monthly, you should consider refinancing. If you're considering working for a nonprofit and you're going to be more slow in all these things, consider the income-based, uh, government-based loans. And so it kind of boils down to... <laughs> Are you going to make a lot of money really quickly and you want to pay it off quickly versus you might have a more slower trajectory of what's going on? So let's talk a little bit more about what are the other possible options. Let's say that you consolidated. So let's go through the steps of what you actually need to do right now if you're just getting into intern year in July and what you want to do. So if, number one is just get all your loans into one, one place. Figure out where your private loans are and wherever your public loans, federal loans are, and then try to put them all together. And then once you figure that out, the best thing to do as a new intern is to do the government loans as possible and put them in a income-based plan. So those are called IDRs. And the one that you probably most likely will be interested in is the repayee program. So your miles may marry if you have a very nice spouse who makes a lot of money, this may not apply to you because it's based on your family income. But this repayee program is going to be very nice for your first, at least for your first two or three years of residency, because it's based on how much money that you're making currently. 
And so how it works is that it takes 10% of your discretionary income and it's based on your family size and your income based on your prior year's tax return. So medical students out there, I hope you have filed taxes even if you didn't make more than 12K a year because if you show that you didn't make any money, then this will be helpful because the repayee will be based on your prior year's taxes. So let's say that you're applying for the repayee as you enter residency in 2023 summer, your income or your salary from last year was $0. So your payment for those months is $0, basically. If you think about it next year, it's also beneficiary because in 2023 as a new intern, you only have half a year of salary. You'll have your salary from July to December. So that is only, well, let's say you're making 60K a year in residency, which is probably around the average. That's only $30,000 a year. So your yearly salary is half of what it could be. And so your taxes for that year are going to be like less than half because your tax bracket is not going to be based on 60000 It's going to be based on 30000 So if there's a chart online you can look at for the repayee, but if you're making $30,000 a year, your monthly payments based on your discretionary salary is only $103 a month versus if you make 60,000, it's 353. If you think about it just from a money's perspective, this is, wow, what a great deal. This is only $100 a month, $300 a month. Keep in mind, your interest is still accruing. Just thinking about the bigger picture, you're still accruing like 6% interest rate. So the interest can be accumulating faster than you're paying things off on this. This is just a way for you to live within your means based on your income and uh, kind of let the dollar amount run because of a couple of things we'll talk about in a few seconds. What's great about this repayee program is that the government will actually subsidize part of the interest that you're not able to pay. So for example, if you have a $200,000 loan and you have a 6% interest rate, roughly the interest that accrues every month, every year will be like $12,000. So every month you'll accrue roughly $1,000 of interest, which is quite a lot. And if you're only paying 100 or $300, then that amount is gonna keep getting bigger and bigger. But under this repayee program, the government will pay half of that interest. So effectively, if you're paying $0 of stuff, if you're making $0, then your interest rate is effectively like half. So like instead of 6%, it'll be 3%. So if you're really interested in just, you know, letting your loan ride while in residency and you're not making that much money, then this is definitely an option that is good. Because if you think about it, if you go back to the previous example, if you're trying to pay off your loans quickly, even if you want to pay it over seven, 10 years, you're going to have to be making thousands of dollars of payments. And that's kind of unrealistic when you're only making $60,000 a year. So let's summarize all that back together. So there's these income-based driven plans that will let you pay a lot less uh, without any penalties. That's really helpful during residency. And that's helpful because it will still accrue uh, payments for a couple of other programs that you may be interested in. And keep in mind that this still accrues the lots of interest on your whole principal of your loan. And so this is starkly contrasted with you know doing a private loan and trying to pay it off as soon as possible. Those two programs that I'm talking about that will help pay off those loans by having these monthly payments, even if they're $0 or $100, are the public service loan forgiveness programs, but also how repay works down, down the line in the future. So with the PSLF, what happens is that if you make 10 years of monthly payments, so 120 total monthly payments, and you're working at a nonprofit organization, they'll waive your loans completely. So it's good if you try to make the minimum amount of payments possible over 
10 years and like you know if you're not making a lot of money zero dollars a hundred dollars whatever monthly payments they all account for the same so once you reach 120 then the government will kind of forgive your loans in that method you're not trying to pay off the principal at all of the whole amount you're just trying to get to as many payments as possible that works if you're a teacher or someone who doesn't really necessarily make that much money but for people who are in residency that works in residency but once you start making real money the repayee 10% if you start making 200 300,000 then it doesn't really make sense then your payments are going to be really really large you can still be on that repayee program for now but over time you can refinance once you're out of residency and then consider trying to paying it off more quickly using one of the private loan options because at that point your income is going to be so high and so that is still you, you, you don't have to be locked into this repay program for x number of years so other than the pslf repay also has this method i mean i don't think anyone's done that yet because the repay program didn't come out until like 2014 or 2015 but basically if these are all undergrad loans then they'll be forgiven in 20 years or if they're graduate student loans, they'll be forgiven in 25 years. But you really want to think about the PSLF. That's probably one of the more reasonable options. So in summary, if you want to pay off your loans quickly, you're probably going to be in a shorter residency program and making more money. Consider just trying to pay it off as quickly as possible. So you want to maybe consolidate and refinance your loans. If you think about staying in academia and your residency is long, like a surgery program, you may consider just staying in one of those income-driven plans and then trying to qualify for one of these forgiveness programs. Okay, I think that is pretty much it for student loans. For the intern year, basically read up on repayee, sign up for the repay program, make sure that you file your taxes and do that because we'll, we'll get down to budgeting a little bit later. It's not really possible for you to be spending $3,000 of your budget paying off student loans right now. Okay, that is topic number one covered. The second topic that we will cover is about retirement plans. It sounds a little bit counterintuitive where, you know, oh, we should pay off student loans first, but we should consider retirement. But a lot of these things are kind of really separate buckets and you wanna take advantage of some of the buckets that are offered on the retirement side. So for a lot of big universities out there, the first step is they have these matching retirement plans. Those are the ones that you definitely should be a part of. For example, my program has a 5% match, which means if I put in 5% of my current salary into these, this is a 403B slash 401K, they'll match it. So basically I'm effectively doubling the money going into the pot. And this 403B is, is a pre-tax, so it hasn't been tax money yet, which we'll kind of discuss in a little bit. But basically I'm donating 120th of my salary, 5%, but I'm getting back 10% because they're matching the 5%. So you should definitely do that. And that is manageable. You're only putting 5% of your salary. The second part that I really encourage everyone to try to get done, especially when they're not making that much money in residency, is maxing out their Roth IRA. I won't get it down into the details, but basically this is a method driven to increase your value for retirement in the future. And these are post-tax dollars. And for those who make less than a hundred and something thousand dollars, which is basically all of you who are going into residency. And the limit last year, or in 2023, is $6,500. These are post-tax dollars that you can put in to invest for mutual funds or whatever you need to do, which will kind of multiply since they're post-tax dollars. You don't need to pay tax on them. And if they like in 20 years, they can get balloon up really big and you don't have to pay tax on them. So you should try to maximize your Roth. So the first year is going to be really hard 
because you only have half a year of salary to reach $6,500. So just try to put in as much as you can and your university can help you with that or you can sign up on Fidelity or Vanguard or anything, one of the big financial services. So over a year, it's only, what is it, like $540 a month to put into this retirement. And if you do it over six months, that's like, it's a thousand a month. So I don't know if that's going to be realistic in your budgeting, but that can be really helpful to saving for retirement, maxing out your Roth because post-tax dollars are really, really beneficial for residents because the goal is hopefully in the future, you're going to make more money as an attending. You're going to make five times, 10 times, I don't know, not 10 times, but way more as an attending. And so paying taxes now while you're in a lower tax bracket for these dollars is much better than when you're trying to pay them up when you're in the, you know, the 35% tax bracket. So getting as much post-tax dollars, such as the Roth right now, is very optimal. Anyways, those are kind of the two main aspects of what you should be doing with your retirement. Make sure that you know what sort of nice benefits that your institution is offering, such as the 401k, 403b matching, as well as trying to figure out a way through your budgeting to max out your Roth for now. The third thing is to make sure that you have all your finances set up correctly. So, you know, there's programs such as Mint. For me, I use SoFi um, because they also have a very similar budgeting thing where all I can see all of the dollar things that are happening to me all at once. But also the main important thing is to make sure you have a high yield savings account, whether it's a savings or checkings account. Right now you can get almost up to like 4% interest in dollar amounts that you can just move around without penalties. There's things such as Marcus where you can get like three point, I think up to 4% of interest on just dollars. And that really adds up rather than you just putting into a regular bank account where it's just sitting there. Like every month you can get like tens, $20 for, you know, for, for a couple thousand dollars just sitting in your bank account. So make sure that you have that set up and putting them in a convenient place where you can, you know, check it quickly, like on your phone, like those things are all very, very helpful because, you know, the one thing that I really did learn is that keeping track of your finances rather than just swiping your credit card and seeing where things are makes a difference when you're making financial decisions, such as buying things here and there. So I encourage you guys to try to explore some of those applications and how to be financially savvy at this current point. Finally, budgeting. I won't get into the details about that too much, but let's just do a little bit of a mental exercise about how things can be for you. So let's say you're making $60,000 a year. You live in California, so maybe your tax is a little bit higher. I did some math, plug it in. How much money you pay after you give it some to Uncle Sam, you end up with $47,000 over an entire year. And your monthly, how much you get back is roughly like 4000 a little bit less than $4,000 a month. The big things that you need to cover are rent, whether or not you have car payments, transportation, utilities, all of those things has to be covered by those $4,000. So if you can imagine going back, it's pretty reasonable to put $500 into a Roth account right? $500. If you're paying like, you know, roughly $1,000, $100,500 on rent, then you still have plenty of dollars to work with. And so there it is, rather than having minus $4,000 a month from loans, you have this new budget from your salary. <laughs> if you think about it, let's see, if you work 80 hours a week, how much is that? So $60,000 hourly rate. If you make $60,000 an hour, the hourly rate is $28.85. But if you work 80 hours a week, so that would be only $14.40. Hmm. 
So still pretty minimum wage for residency. Yeah, with taxes, there's a couple of things that you can consider in your intern year to put on your yearly taxes for next year that you can do only one time. So you can Google these things, but there is a lifetime learning credit that can be applied one time. You can claim $2,000 of educational credit by completing one of your forms in 8863, which you can do one time. I think these are things that, you know, uh, TurboTax and things can do for you. There's also a student loan payment interest deduction where the first $2,500 of your student loan interest is deductible. Let's say that you do end up paying, going to one of those uh, income-based driven plans and you're paying $353 a month times 12, that's over $4,000. The first $2,500 can be deducted. There's also other things such as the moving expenses deduction. You can make that taxable. And then there's a lot of state-specific deductions that you can look into. I wouldn't spend too much time on this and some of the free software can help you with that if your taxes are not complicated or you can hire a pretty generic CPA. Your taxes as a resident should be fairly simple that they can help you with those things. Anyways, I'm not sure if I've just been spitting out a bunch of gunk that no one really understands what to do, but congratulations to all the new interns out there. So TLDR, too long, didn't read. What you need to do as an intern currently is to make sure that all your loans are in one place Number one. Number two, consider putting your loans into an income-based driven plan. Make sure you file your taxes. Make sure that you understand the difference between refinancing your loans versus using one of those income-driven plans. And number four, make sure you take advantage of all the financial retirement opportunities that your institution provides for you. And number five, have all the nice budgeting tools, have a nice bank account where you can really track how you are doing with your spending. So I am really passionate to talk about these things because a lot of people get really screwed. A lot of residents who've just graduated, a lot of attendings come back and said, oh, I was really, really irresponsible as a resident or, oh man, I should have, could have done this, should have done that. And really what financial decisions that you make currently when you're in your early 20s and 30s can really compound to you know, how you do with your retirement and how the rest of your life, whether or not you have kids or those things. So you should really consider in these next couple of months to figure that out because it can make a lifetime of difference. So that is my one note for you all is to think about your finances now while you have a little bit more time and figure things out. My DMs are free if you have any questions or if there's other videos I can make on this topic, happy to do so. All right, y'all have a good day.